And do you remember Paul's response? He said, it doesn't matter if I die. It doesn't matter what takes place. If God desires for me to go to Jerusalem, I'll do whatever it takes. And whatever happens to me, happens to me. I'll withstand beatings. I've done it before. I'll do it again. I'll share in whatever I need to share. I'll continue to do whatever God wants me to do. Please stop pleading with me not to go. And they stopped. And they walked with him down to the beach. And this group of people hanging on one another, holding Come to Christ and who understand the love of God and the wonder of life in accordance with His purpose. And He leaves with tears in His eyes and humility in His heart and fear. Fear. Because He knows what they said will come true. What they said will come true. Imagine. Lord, I was filled with so much fear and then I heard your voice. You came to me. You spoke clearly and you said, Paul, fear no more. I will be with you and you must speak the word to Rome. You must declare my truth to those in Rome. And when he said that, it's like everything left. And though I found myself in prison in Jerusalem, everything left. All the fear, all the concerns. And it was replaced with a sense of wonder. God, how are you going to do this? How will I end up in Rome? How will all this take place? It seemed like just... A short time ago, it was actually seven days, I showed up in Jerusalem and my brother James, Jesus, it was, it's his half-brother. He is the head of the church now in Jerusalem. Peter has left and we shared together and we prayed together and rejoiced over all that God had done. We gave thanks to him and he shared with me, thousands and thousands of Jewish people have come to know Jesus here in Jerusalem. But there's one problem, Paul. They believe that you are teaching the Jewish people not to follow the laws, not to follow the necessity of circumcision, not to recognize the wonder of the law that God gave through Moses, that you begin to preach not just a story of grace, but rejection of God's truth in relationship to the Jewish people. And they're beginning to wonder about you. And we need to put this to a stop. And here's an idea. Here's a thought, Paul. Perhaps you could go to the temple, take a vow, and you could take these four men with you who are strong Jewish brothers who know the Lord powerfully and who others know about Him. And as you bring them in and as you declare together your commitment to God and to His laws, they'll see you. Paul said, why not? Let's do it. And seven days later, he found himself... Standing, I'm standing before this group of people and they begin to scream and yell at me. And I've done nothing wrong. What is going on? And they begin to cry out. He brought Gentiles in. I had not brought any Gentiles in. But as they began to scream and yell, they suddenly grabbed me and they began to beat on me. I was like, Lord, what is happening? And they were crushing me until the Roman soldiers came down and literally stopped them and pulled them off of me. 
and put me in chains. And I was wondering what to do. And as I began to walk up the steps and look down at the temple courts and the Jewish people looking up at me with hatred in their eyes, I said, I have to speak. And I turned to the Roman guards and I said, I'm a citizen of Rome. And they said, what? You're not allowed to put me in chains. And they stopped. I told him, I want to speak to the crowd. And he said, well, aren't you that Egyptian man, the one who's causing a revolt? And he said, I'm not that Egyptian. Hear my language. I speak to you in Greek. And then I turned to the crowd and I began to share with them in Aramaic the wonder of God and what he had done in my life. I shared about my conversion. I shared about who I was. And what God had made me to be. And as I began to share with them, I finished up with God's call for me to reach out to the Gentiles. And they became furious and grabbed me again out of the soldiers' arms. And began to beat on me again. And the soldiers pulled me away. You have to stop this. What a journey this was. Marvelous. Incredible. And the next thing I knew, I was in front of Ananias, that so-called high priest. He isn't a high priest. He's a man who's been put in the position because of political situations and politics that were there. And I told him so to his face. But then I thought, hmm, I'll bet I can work something out here. And I gathered the Sadducees and the Pharisees together and convinced them that I was here about the resurrection, about the truth that we will live eternally. And everything sprung up. And once again, the Roman soldiers had to pull me out of there. The next thing I knew, I found myself here. Back in Caesarea, in Herod's palace, ready to find myself being presented to Felix. Hmm. That will be interesting. This guy, he is a mess. But perhaps that's the first step in God's master plan. Perhaps that's what God is putting together to put me into place so that I'll find myself, well, as he told me, sent to Rome. To share with those in positions in Rome of incredible power and authority. So perhaps the gospel might reach beyond Jerusalem to somebody else. Father, today, as we spend this time walking through this wondrous book of Acts, help us to hear clearly your voice and to respond to the truth that you share with us here. Guide us, Lord. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 21. And what I took you through, there was a simple picture of what was likely going on in Paul's heart and mind as he walked through these series of events that took place as a result of God's master plan. God's purpose, God's intention in the midst of Paul's interaction with life. Because you see, that's what happens with all of us. We're part of this amazing mosaic that God is putting together. This incredible plan that he has laid out for us. And he says, you must die to self and take up the cross so that you might experience real life. Because we only experience real life when we're submitted fully to the master's plan. When we choose not to, we experience life without real faith, life without excitement. We're just existing. We're not anticipating every day the next movement of God in our life. You see, this first section of Acts 21 is all about Paul's return. Remember, he's been brought up coming from Galatia, Miletus, Troas, 
And most recently, Caesarea. We talked earlier about his interaction with Philip, the way they've been close friends. This very man who watched Paul put to death Stephen a number of years before. And now they become incredibly close friends as God has used them. He starts off with verse 17. When we arrived in Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. And the next day, Paul and the rest of us, this is Luke writing, remember, went to see James, who is now the head of the church. James is Jesus' half-brother. And all the elders were present. Paul greeted them. He reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard this, they praised God. They gave thanks for all that God had done. And then they said, Brother, while you were gone, thousands... Tens of thousands of Jews have believed. Remember the earlier time with Peter? He had 5,000 respond the first time he spoke. This had continued on. Thousands and thousands. And so many more have responded now after the persecution. James says, thousands of Jewish people have believed. They've been informed, though, that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses. Telling them not to circumcise their children according to the customs. What shall we do? They're going to hear that you've come. So do what we tell you. This is what we want you to do. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take your vow. You need a 30-day Nazarite vow. They would shave their head. They would shave their beard. They would commit to eat and drink only certain things for this entire 30-day period of time. At the end of that time, for seven days, they would meet at the temple, go through a fasting purification time, and declare their commitment to God from that point forward. They said, get together with these guys. Pay for their necessary final sacrifices. At the final end of this 30-day thing, they would sacrifice three different things. One, they would sacrifice a ram. Rams are not cheap. They would also sacrifice a sheep. Sheep are not cheap either. And lastly, they'd sacrifice a particular different styles of libations and grains. And all this cost a fair amount of funds. And they said, Paul, you brought all this money back from the Gentiles to us. Take some of this money. Use it to pay for all these vows. And you yourself make the same vows. Make the same sacrifices. Let everybody see that you are committed to God as a Jew, not just as a Christian. So, they said, concerning the Gentile believers, we have written to them. Our decision, they should abstain from blood sacrifice to idols, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. So he's just reiterating. We're not talking about the Gentiles. We're talking about the Jewish people. Get that picture again? The problem is the Jewish people think you're telling the other Jewish people, forget about the law, live like a Gentile. So that is not what's been happening, but that's what he's been proposed to be doing. It's one of those situations we talk about. They assume that's what he's doing. Okay, we all know the issue of assumptions. That we shouldn't be taking our life concerning others. Jesus calls it judging others. When we don't know what's going on. And we don't understand what's actually taking place. So Paul took them in. Purified himself along with them. He went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end. And the offering would be made for each of them. I just told you what the offering would be. So we're beginning with this sense of unity and warmth and togetherness. They give him some good advice from the Jewish leaders. And Paul has this sense of confidence. He began to think, hey, perhaps the prophecies were a little off. Things are going to be okay. I'm back in Jerusalem with my family. This is where he grew up under Gamaliel, where his teaching took place. 
He's thinking, I'm going to interact with a lot of these leaders and be able to share with them the wonder of what God has done in my life. He's excited. He's pumped. He goes through the purification, the vows. He's enjoying God's presence and His power in the midst of Him. I guarantee you, you share with other people about Jesus. Great stuff are happening. It's, it's kind of like, how many of you guys, it's Christmas time, right? Imagine. Ah, it's Christmas time. We're all going to get together with the family. It's going to be really good, right? And we start off with this sense of, yeah, everything's great. And then a few of the family have a little too much wine. A little too much of this or that. And suddenly the fighting begins to happen. And this wonderful sense of beauty and warmth turns into a, I'm never coming back here again time. You know it. You know it. Paul's about to experience Christmas with the Kringles. Hey? Oh, it's all good. It's all wonderful. It's all glorious. The seven days are over. Some Jews in the province of Asia saw Paul the temple. They stirred the whole crowd and they seized him and they began to beat on him. I mean, there's no this, that, whatever. Who are you? What's going on? They just grab him, pull him down and start beating on him. Paul's like, what is going on? They're pounding on him. And it's the whole crowd. So there's these huge rioting happening. They cry out to the Roman soldiers who happen to be right next door in a special situation that's taking place here with the temple. You have to understand, the way the temple has been built by Herod is right next door to the temple is a situation or a place in which all the soldiers were housed. There were something like 2,000 soldiers who were housed directly here so they could get quickly to the temple when there was trouble. That's what was going on. So he's going, okay. So they hear about it. Out comes running the centurion. He finds Paul over here. They're beating on him. It says the crowd seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us beat this guy up. That's what they're saying. Help us beat him to death. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, our law in this place. He's brought Greeks into the temple. He's defiled this holy place. These are lies. He's had none of it. They had previously, though, seen Drometheus, the Ephesian, the city with Paul. They assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. You don't do that. You do not bring a Gentile in the temple. That is like, that is the worst. You're going to get killed. If you do that, that's worthy of death. And it literally was. The Romans allowed them to put to death someone who did that. If a Gentile went into the temple, they could put him to death. It was one of the few times that the laws were changed in relationship to the Jewish ability to respond to situations taking place among the Jewish people. That's the only time they were allowed to literally kill them. So they said, kill this guy. Look what he's done. Paul is going, what is happening? Fear obviously is filling him. He says, this is the man that done this. He says, the whole city was aroused. People came running from all directions. So people outside the temple came running in to see what's going on. This is the ultimate in rubbernecking. Don't you always love that? You're driving down the freeway and you're going, why are we stopped? And you finally get down there and there's a car on the side of the road and that's it. And everybody's like this. Did anybody die in there? I go, come on. Well, this is, this is like, whoa, big fire happened. Let's want to go see what's going on here. Some huge thing happened. The police have pulled over all these guys. What's going on? Huge crowd running up. And it says, it says, while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops. that The whole city was in an uproar. So he took some officers, some soldiers. He ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commanders and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Oops, better stop. Here comes the commander. 
The commander comes up, arrests him, ordered him to be bound with two chains, one chain on one arm, another chain on the other arm, held together with Roman soldiers on each side. Look, we're not letting him get away with anything. It's okay, people. That's what he's saying. It's okay. It's okay. We got this in hand. And he begins to take him away. Then he asked him, who are you? What did you do? The crowd shouted one thing. Some shouted another. The commander couldn't get to the truth. He ordered Paul be taken into the barracks. So he takes him up, starts moving up to the stairs to go into the barracks. This this side section off of the temple. Paul reached the steps. The violence of the mob was so great, the soldiers had to pick him up and carry him. This is pretty intense. You get the idea? They can't stop them from beating on this guy. So they literally are lifting him up in the air, doing the carry with him. Here they are carrying Paul over. Paul is laying on the side like this going, guys, let me down. He says, can I say something to you? Okay, he's laying on the crowd. Can I say something to you? Commander's, okay, yeah, what do you need? He says, hold it. You're speaking in Greek. Aren't you that Egyptian who caused a huge revolt? If you look back at Josephus, the historian, he speaks about a particular Egyptian at this point in time who had gathered together some 4,000 different Jewish people and he had started a riot intending to go in and break down the temple doors and to attack the Roman people. Felix, who Paul's going to run into in just a little bit, gathers there another commander, a group of some two, 3,000, actually probably 4,000 different soldiers. They come in, they respond to it, they kill over 400 of these men. And they capture 200 of them, put them in jail. But the Egyptian gets loose. He isn't captured. He's still on the loose. He's thinking, that's what this is all about. Paul is that Egyptian. But that Egyptian doesn't speak Greek. So he's going, you're not the Egyptian? He says, no. I am not. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. He's telling them, I'm a Roman citizen, and what you've just done to me is against the law. And if I want to call you on it, you're going to be in big trouble. You overstep your bounds. Please, let me speak to the people. Paul's getting a little leverage here. He said, okay, I got it. now set me down and let me talk to the people. And the commander thinks, he's got to be crazy. These people are trying to kill you. What are you doing? So Paul stops, he sets him down, and he changes his language from Greek to Aramaic. He's talking now to the Jewish people in Aramaic. And he begins to share this fabulous, powerful testimony about what had taken place in his life. Now, this is not what Paul had planned. Have you figured that out by now? This was not in his thoughts. He's like, how did this happen? This has happened so rapidly, he has no idea. He's just kind of responding to the Spirit of God, and he finds himself going, what we all should be going, well, if they're going to kill me, at least I want to share them the testimony of what Jesus can do in their life. That's what takes place. So he steps up, and he begins to share this amazing story of what God has done in his life. Now, here's the primary principle, because we're going to fall into this next section about his testimony. The principle here that I think God is trying to teach us as we look at Paul is that man plans his way, but God does what? God just steps. 
You see, I always have great plans. And God usually laughs. Good thought, Lee. He's not laughing at me. He's laughing at my ideas. He's saying, oh, Lee. The odds of that happening are in another world. It's not going to happen. You see, I have these plans of how I want everything to happen. When I first got into ministry, I said, this is how it's going to happen, Lord, and the ministry's going to happen this way, and the church is going to do this, and it's going to be, and I'll be up there going, yeah, and you'll be going, yeah, and I'll be going, yeah, and you'll be going, yeah, and it'll be like, God is good all the time, all the time. See, you get it, okay? Yeah, it's like, whoa, tickets are so good, and I'm just caring for people and loving them and praying for them, and my whole life is just about that from, from the morning till the night, and I don't have to do any administration, I don't have to worry about finance, I don't have to, ah, and that's not how it worked out. That wasn't the actual calling. God had a plan, and I needed to fit into that plan and purpose He had for my life. You see, man makes his plans, but God directs. His steps. I like Jeremiah where he says, I know that people's lives are not their own. It's not for them to direct their steps. And so my question to you is, who are you trying to control? What are you trying to control? Why are you trying to control? God says, I will determine that. That's my job. Why are you trying to be God? All of us as parents, how many parents here think you try to be a God? The rest of you are liars. We all do it. I, I know what he should be doing. I know how he should be doing it. I know exactly what they should do. I will tell them if they ask me. If they don't, guess what? That's right. I'm going to tell them anyway. You know? And I'm going to do everything I can. I will bribe. I will cajole. I will do anything. Lord, make that happen. God said, you know, Lee. I know you have a plan. Mine's better. Mine's better. Trust me. It's not your job to control. You turn it over and you don't take it back. Everyone lift up your hands. Lift your hands. Okay? Say, Lord, I give you everything. Say it. Lord, I give you everything. Now turn it over. Okay, now it's his, right? Ben-Hur, marvelous new show coming out here. The show is about a man who has a plan. And God turns it around and he shows them his. Here's a quick clip. I think you'll like it. What have you found? I don't know what it is. Oh, I know what this is. It's a center board. How much? Five seconds. here to protect you. Let his crucifixion serve as an example to any other rebel or zealot who dares betray his people and seize us. Zealots. Well, they want his freedom. And at what cost? If they have their way, they'll bring the whole of Rome down on us. Then when will our freedom be? How much is it? Five. Thank you, Wendell. There's freedom elsewhere. Excuse me? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. That's very progressive. The truth. God is love. He made us to share that love. And where will your love be when the Romans turn their anger on the rest of us? Hate and fear are lies that turn us against each other. Those are the lies that make us slaves. He has a path planned for you. If he has a path planned for me, how am I better off than a slave? Why don't you ask God? 
Esther. Jesus, by the way, as he responds when he heard the words, the clarification of who God is, what he is, and he's going to continue to interact with Ben-Hur as he brings him to the place where he'll eventually respond to him and yield his life to him and discover God's purpose, God's plan for his life. You guys better go see that show. If you go to show, support the shows that share the truth concerning who God is and what he does. And the others, don't bother. You know, Born identity, you don't need to go there. You can, I will, but that's okay. First thing, the return. Paul comes into it. He's expecting this warm place. It's great. He's thinking, okay, maybe the warning isn't for now. Things are going to be good. Seven days, boom, here it comes. Nailed on him. He's just clobbered here. Then he goes on. Second section. This is about the testimony. He says, let me explain. Let me explain. Listen to my defense. They heard him speak to them in Aramaic. They got quiet. He lays out his condition. Who he was. I am a Jew. I was born in Tarsus of Cilicia. But I was brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors, and I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way to death, arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council here can themselves testify, they all knew who Paul was. Ananias knew Paul. I even obtained letters from the council, from the high priest, to their associates in Damascus. I went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. See, Paul, he's saying, this is my condition before I had a conversion. What's your condition? If you think for a second, what was your condition before you had a conversion? I'm assuming you've had one. If you haven't, then hopefully today will be the day. Today will be the day you go. It's time and the Holy Spirit will fall upon you and you will experience conversion, the change, the transformation. Paul says, then about noon, as I came near Damascus, a bright light from heaven flashed around me and I fell to the ground. I heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I said, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do? And he said, get up, go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand to Damascus because I was blinded because of the brilliance of the light. And a man named Ananias, you guys know Ananias. He came to see me. He was a devout observer of the laws. He was highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me. He said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that moment, I was able to see. And then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. And you will be as witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his 
name. The conversion. Powerful, powerful conversion here. Paul goes from blackness to total light. And that's exactly the picture that we have. He's like, whoa, everything changed. And when I returned to Jerusalem, now he goes to his call. Condition, his conversion, now his call. He says, I returned to Jerusalem. I was praying at the temple. I fell into a trance. I saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, get out of Jerusalem. Because the Lord, the people here will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, these people know. These people know me. They know who I am. They know what's happened. That I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval. Guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And the Lord said to me, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. The call. I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. These incredible memories. Paul will share this story three different times just like this. Instantly. He knows exactly what took place in his life. He will never, ever forget. Do you have those kind of memories in your life? Some of you do, some of you don't. How many of you have children? Do you remember the day they were born? The younger ones of us really know the day they were born. Some of us remember the night after they were born. <laughs> and the next night and the next night and the next night. This incredible... I remember watching my first daughter, Joy, as she was born, coming out of the womb. Oh, that was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I was there with the doc. I was like, okay, cut the cord. Uh, I cut the cord. Yeah, where's the cord? <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, whoa, this is a living... Whoa, this is my daughter. Glad I named her Joy. <laughs> wow. Unforgettable memories. But ah, I have an unforgettable memory. The day that God called me into his kingdom. Well, I've got that memory down too. Just as clear as clear could be. Just like the birth of my daughter, but it was my own birth. As the change took place and that transformation happened, and God grabbed a hold of me and said, Okay, here it is. I am your father. And you were my son. And I heard that as clear as clear could be. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Everything changed. Suddenly I was filled with hope and faith and excitement and desire and holiness. I was cleansed from my sin. I wasn't dragged down by my guilt. It was like, oh, my God. My cheeks hurt. I smiled so much. My cheeks were just, they were just killing me. I said, I got to stop smiling. I can't do this anymore. Everybody was walking to me and saying, what happened to you? And I would say, let me tell you. And they're going, oh, here we go. You became a Christian. Yes, that's what happened. I became a Christian. This incredible, marvelous, wonderful conversion. And then after that, there's a call. There's a call. You see, each of you have this time. You had a condition you were in. The song went in your head, didn't it? What condition is the condition you were in? You had a condition. I said, my condition was awful. Not good. Conversion, marvelous, incredible. Wow. And then there was a call. You see, because God doesn't stop with our conversion. Then he gives us a call. And he says, this is your calling to ministry. See, he tells us we need to love God. And then he converts us and we begin to love others. I still remember looking in that, that uh, church. It was all, I, I was the only white guy in the whole church. I've told you this story before. I'm the only white guy in the whole church. Me and a bunch of people that are dark and talking about 
God work in their lives. I'm like, whoa. This one said, I've been fasting for seven days. I'm starting to get a little hungry. Please pray for me. I thought, dude, you've been fasting for seven days. You should be hungry. <laughs> and I began, what's going on here? And they began to share again and over what God was doing in their lives. I was like, what's going on here? And then we spoke on Hebrews 11 by faith. The Holy Spirit fell upon me and I went, oh my goodness. And I remember turning to this beautiful black girl and giving her a hug and I had this incredible love and I said, where did that come from? I've never loved anybody before. And there's this intense sense. It wasn't anything sexual. It was incredibly... I was like, what? What? Conversion. Have you had that conversion? See, some of you here, you're going, well, I kind of had... No, 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 no. Have you had that conversion? Because it's that intense. And if you haven't had that intense, and you need to seek after God and say, God, make it intense. Because then there's a call. When God calls you, you find yourself going, okay, Lord, what's next? And about a year later, I was inside of a bathroom. <laughs> I was a janitor at a high school. And I'm working, getting ready to go to school. The Lord has done all these marvelous things, incredible things. Brought me back out of Germany, back to the California, putting into place, getting ready to go to school. Everything's come together here. And I still haven't comprehended that God has called me to the ministry. I'm still kind of, and God speaks to me clear as day and says, hey. That was my phone. <laughs> the call to a fight, baby. Yeah, boom, right there. God said, hey. I went, what? Lord, he said, Lee, I'm calling you to the ministry. And now I've been involved in a church and I'm beginning to understand what it is. And I said, I want to be a janitor. I really like sharing my faith with people, encouraging them. And I like being a janitor, Lord. I've decided I'm going to be a janitor. And God said as clear as day, no, you're not. I said, but Lord, I'm literally clean out the toilets. I said, but Lord, I'm happy doing this. This is good. I can't, I, I, I can't, I can't do what you asked me to do. And God said, you're going to do it. I went, but Lord, and he said, no more buts. I said, okay, Lord, whatever you say. I'm going to be a pastor, but I don't have a clue. He said, I will tell you what to do. See, that's a cry to Paul. I will tell you what to do. That's, that's the marvelous conversion. How many of you have had a conversion? Some of you haven't. And today you need to pray, Lord, Lord, please, let me experience that conversion. And let me hear you call. Because God just doesn't call us to love people. He calls us to follow Him and to love our neighbors, to bring them to Him, to be involved in this particular purpose and plan He has for us. For Paul, it was intense. And so we go on to his provision. You see, Paul finds himself in this final place. He shares his testimony and it backfires. The response is not good. I don't know if any of you ever shared your testimony and the guy was getting ready to hit you. Okay. I have. It was my dad the first time. Would you please just shut up? I'm going, I'm sharing with you the wonder of God. Well, good for you. Shut up. Uh, but, you know, but, but this is, he said, you didn't hear me? Do I need to knock you out? What? What? But just stop it. Now, my dad became a Christian later. <laughs> but wow. Sometimes when you share your testimony, it doesn't end up the way you want it to end up. 
It doesn't come out the way we hope for it would come out. He's ended his four-year journeys in Jerusalem. He's shared. Everything seems to backfire. This negative response, they begin to attack him again. And he's thinking, Lord, when Peter shared, thousands of people came to know Jesus. When I shared, they came to beat me up. Yeah. Same Jerusalem. But when he shared, I've been called to the Gentiles... That's when everything broke loose. They couldn't understand what God was about to do the entire world. This last section, Acts 23, the provision. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin because now he finds himself placed before the Sanhedrin in a trial. And he said, my brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in good conscience to this day. And the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. He's a very quiet you know, low-natured kind of, you know. You sit there to judge me according to the law, and you yourself violate the law by command that I be struck. And those standing there, Paul says, how dare you insult God's high priesthood? Paul says, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest. For it is written, don't speak evil about the ruler of your people. In other words, he's being very sarcastic. I know exactly who he is. He knows who I am. And I, I went to him as a peer not as someone who humbly becomes before the wonderful ruler of our people. You shouldn't be here, is what he's saying to him. How dare you do this? And then he turns and says, brothers, Sadducees, Pharisees, two different groups of Jewish people who are always fighting with one another. I'm here on trial because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And away they went. They started fighting with one another. Paul's sitting back going, all right, well, at least I got somebody away from beating on me. And they're fighting with one another. He said this. The dispute breaks out between the Sadducees. say there's no resurrection. They are neither angels nor spirits. But the Pharisees believe all these things. So there's an uproar. Some of the teachers of the law of the Pharisees stood up and they argued, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? It got so violent, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by him. We're back to Paul's the guy we're going to beat up. And the commander again takes him, pulls him apart, brings him down into jail. And the following night, there's this marvelous statement. It says, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. After you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify about me in Rome. Pete, come on up with the worship team. There are more than 40 men involved in a plot now that's set up to try and kill Paul. If you follow this section, Satan is trying to get Paul what? Put to death. He wants him dead. Why? God just told him. Because he's going to send him to Rome. And the result of that's going to be the entire Roman Empire, some years later, turning to Christ and making a huge difference in the entire world to the place where we today find ourselves with over a billion, almost two billion people who claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. Yeah, and that's because Paul was not put to death then. He will be when he's in Rome. But he's going to have a couple of years to share. And at that point in time, marvelous things will take place. As in chains, he shares with one guard after another guard. And then he shares with one man after another man and his wife and his brother and his sister. And he begins to literally invade the entire court of Rome. And everything will change. He finds himself brought down to Caesarea once again, back to Philip and Caesarea. 
I want you to catch this figure. It's a great picture. Whew, here he is, back to Caesarea. That's where he started at when they grabbed him and said, you're going to be beaten. You're going to be knocked around. You're going to be put into chains back in Caesarea. But now he's in jail in Caesarea. Back to Herod's palace. Remember that we talked about this before. He's back to Herod's palace. But now he's down at the bottom. He's in the dungeon, placed in a position. And he's getting ready to share with Felix, this slave who has become the governor, who is known as a killer of men. And he's on his third marriage. And Paul's getting ready to share with him about Jesus. <laughs> One more time. Man, there he is. I'm going to share with him about Jesus. And that's exactly what happened. But that's another story that takes place next week. These are the thoughts I have for you as we think about and respond to this as the, as the worship team leads us. When we share a true story, it doesn't always end up with positive results. When you share your testimony, it's not always going to end up with that person falling down before God and saying, thank you, let Jesus come into my life. It's happened to me a couple times. The good stuff. The bad one, a lot of times. A lot of times. How do you respond to God when you do that? God says, you need to share. Because one out of those ten people desperately needs me. And you're the one I've chosen to tell them. And though you shared with nine, and nothing took place, number ten's coming. Please be part of my plan. Please be part of God's purpose. I want you to think about that now as we listen to this song. Are you part of God's purpose? Are you willing to respond to God's master plan? Regardless of what it is, it's not easy, but it's His plan. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Ask God's direction. Let Him speak to you as we listen to this song.